Welcome to the Impact 360 Institute podcast, where our goal is to explore biblical worldview and servant leadership to equip you for everyday influence. Here's your host, author and director of cultural engagement, Jonathan Morrow. How not to be an underprotective or overprotective parent. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today on the Impact 360 Institute podcast. And I'm really excited to welcome to the podcast a longtime friend of Impact 360, Stephanie Shackelford. And she is the author of You on Purpose, Discover Your Calling and Create the Life You Are Meant to Live. She is a senior fellow at the Barna Group, our good friends there, primarily studying vocation and calling. Um, In 2012, she founded a career coaching company and has since helped hundreds of students, recent graduates, and working professionals live into their purpose. Stephanie received her doctors in education and Bachelor of Science from Vanderbilt University, where she's also an adjunct instructor, and she lives with her husband and two children in Atlanta, and you can learn more about her at stephshackelford.com. So Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me. And we're grateful because you contributed to this brand new book edited by our friend John Basie, who's my colleague here at Impact 360 Institute. This brand new book is Know, Be, Live, a 360-degree approach to discipleship in a post-Christian era. And this really kind of dives into what does it look like to make disciples based on the research that we've done with the Barna Group and just working with students every day here at Impact 360. Like, what are the issues and challenges? And you contributed the chapter, Gen Z's Overprotective, Underprotective Parents, and that'll be kind of the heart of our conversation today. I know there's lots of other stuff that you have expertise in, and that'll probably flow into that. We'll have to have, have you back to talk about your brand new book as well, but I'd love to talk about some of this theme. But first, I'd love to just for you to give our listeners a little bit of glimpse into why you do what you do. You obviously care about and work with the next generation, so kind of tell a little bit of that story for us. Sure, I'd love to. And um as a heads up, my voice is a little hoarse, so I apologize for all the listeners. Um, but yes, I love this next generation and just the energy and passion that they bring. I have been um, doing coaching for about a decade, as you mentioned in my bio. And I think what I love about coaching is just uh, getting to work with students, young professionals, working professionals, and helping them come alive to their purpose and really understand more of who God has created them to be. And I think I especially see that in this next generation, um, just their curiosity and um, their just energy to see what's ahead and what's next. And so that's been really fun to get to work with Gen Z in particular in those ways. That's awesome. And and I love that you started there uh, working with students. I know sometimes um, we see research or we talk to or hear people talk about the next generation, and, and sometimes it can come across as overly negative on the next generation. And I love working with Gen Z. I love working with our students here at Impact 360. I know you do too. They're facing mm-hmm. a lot. There's a lot of stuff they got to figure out, navigate, need to be equipped in, just like all of us at, at that age. Uh, but I love that you highlighted that, that passion that they have, the curiosity, um, I think empathy, you know, the desire to find that purpose. I think those are such good qualities about this next generation. But what I want to do is kind of back up a little bit, you know, and talk a little bit about kind of what's shaping them. And there's obviously different cultural factors that's shaping the next generation, which we've talked about on different episodes of this podcast, and there's different chapters of the book. But one of the things I want to zero in on with you is kind of how parents factor in to the shaping of their kids in, in terms of 
kind of how they're either overprotective or underprotective, and, and we'll dive into some of the particulars of that. But maybe let's just start with what is the difference between a helicopter and a drone parent? You kind of talk about both of those. So give a little context there. Sure. So, um, yes, I have a unique vantage point when I do coach students that I oftentimes get to work with their parents as well. And so um, I've kind of seen this difference. We oftentimes hear about helicopter parenting, which is, you know, what we typically think about parents that are hovering and really maybe overly engaged. Uh, but what we're really seeing now is something being termed drone parenting. Uh, this obviously plays off of just the increasing technology-driven world that we live in, but it also does describe this kind of new parenting style that has been adapted for this digital age that we're in, in terms of that rather than physically hovering over their children like a helicopter, drone parents more monitor their children through technology. And so they can uh, have a very close watch, but still monitor from a distance. And so they don't want to be perceived as helicopter parents. They want to be perceived as, you know, giving their children freedom. And yet they still are keeping this close, but trying to be distanced watch. And so as we'll see, that does lead to some overprotection and then also some underprotection. Yeah, and that's really helpful. And I want to dive into that because I'm sure there's a little bit of those tendencies in all of us as parents to either overprotect or underprotect. And we can kind of talk about that. But I know you've done a lot of research and thinking about this and study yourself on kind of what created the generation of helicopter and drone parents themselves. So maybe before we talk about Gen Z a little bit and kind of how that plays itself out, talk a little bit about kind of those factors that shaped the parents to be helicopter or drone parents uh, in their own right, and maybe some of those tendencies culturally that they grew up with or encountered as they kind of came through culture. Sure. Yes. Yeah. So the parents of Gen Z typically are part of Generation X, which, you know, you'll get different dates, but born between 1965 to 1983, roughly. And I'll kind of describe Gen X. And just keep in mind, obviously, this is a broad brush we're painting whenever we do uh, generational descriptions. And so there will uh, be outliers. There'll be things that maybe don't fit every parent. But by and large, Gen X um, is kind of known as the latchkey generation uh, because they tended to be left more alone by their parents uh, to really fend for themselves. So they experienced the opposite of helicopter or drone parenting. So when they got home from school, it was usually to an empty house. Um, would be an example of this. So they, as parents, Gen Xers really want to do something different than they experience. They want to be more engaged and help their children to develop more social and emotional awareness than maybe they felt that they had as children. And so what this can look like is wanting to be engaged and involved and also ensure their child's safety. Um, with this, though, Gen X also tends to distrust authority. If you think about the era that grew up in with Watergate, Challenger, they want to be the ultimate authority and what's best for their child. They don't want to be told what's best. And so they can, in those ways, sometimes maybe be overly controlling or have um, a lot of oversight over their children because they want to be the ones that are um, making the decisions. And so another way this plays out is wanting to um, 
just ensure their, their kids' safety. And we'll see this when we get talk about overprotective parenting, how that comes into play. And so they want to be very um, aware of what's going on. And yet they're in a very uh, complicated situation because they're also raising the first generation of complete digital natives. And so the technology, obviously, they, they can be well, well versed in technology, but this is the first generation Gen Z that's grown up from day one with technology, unlike their parents. And so they're trying, the parents are trying to navigate um, how do I parent in this really high tech world that I'm maybe familiar with, but I didn't grow up from day one with like my own child. And so that's where we'll get into some of the underprotective parenting and technology realm. Yeah, for sure. And that's, that's really helpful um, laying the groundwork because, you know, one of the things we're thinking about, okay, how do we disciple Gen Z? Well, 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 if Gen X is primarily the, the parents and they were shaped by a culture and assumptions as well. And we also know that, that kids tend to mirror certain assumptions of their parents and that in which they grow up. So you see that anti-authoritarian kind of bent beginning um, with some other things going, and that's going to be a big part of Gen Z and their kind of default posture in some ways and how that plays itself out. I was chuckling to myself when you were talking about, you know, that, that tension of raising kids without all the technology that maybe previous generations would have loved to have had. I think of it kind of like the, if you're a Lord of Rings <laughs> fan, it's like the ring of power you know, with life 360, right, and all these yes. other <laughs> you know, and you're like, wow, should I, should I use all that all the time? I mean, you know, what do I do with that? So I, I think it's, I mean, so I chuckle because as a parent, you're just having to walk through this whole season of uncharted, you really uncharted waters, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about then what does it look like? Um, what are some maybe some traits of overprotective parenting, just so that we can be aware of that? And then we'll talk about how that might have some unintended consequences in a minute. But let's like, what does that generally look like to be overprotective when it comes to Gen Z? Sure. So overprotective parenting um, are parents that they have ideals of their parenting that are really from a good place. You know, they want their children to be protected, to be happy. They want them to be safe. You know, these things aren't bad. We, I think every parent wants that for their children. But the problem is that when safety is placed above all else, it can really be stifling. And so uh, wanting to protect your child from any sort of failure or uh, any sort of things that may be out of your control. And so the, the child feels like they have no freedom. Um, and so overprotective parenting can really come out in a lot of ways. It can be um, whether children don't have the ability to, you know, as maybe as younger children to just play, have free play anymore. Everything is very structured or they have a lot of activities they're being shuffled back and forth from. And so they're really missing out on the freedom of just unstructured time. Overprotective parenting can look like wanting to protect your child from, you know, perceived emotional danger, for lack of a better word. Um, I, I work with a lot of students that are uh, applying to college, and I oftentimes see parents that, um, coming from a good place, really want to support their child, but they are so afraid of their child facing a college rejection or not getting into the college is their number one, which is certainly a hard situation, but that can lead uh, to negative consequences for for the child not feeling confident in their own abilities. And uh, so these are just some of the ways that the overprotection can 
can play out in a child's day-to-day life. Um, not having that freedom to, to be a child, to learn and to play and to make decisions and to make mistakes. So that's where I think where it also comes in is that when parents are overprotective, they're not allowing their children to make mistakes or to fail. And that's part of learning and is so necessary. And how parents walk through children's decisions uh, can be really helpful. But when a parent is aiming to protect their child and manage their day-to-day schedule and life and how they show up, it doesn't give the children opportunities to experience making their own decisions. Yeah, and I think that that's a big piece, right, <clears throat> in terms of that agency, which is important for maturing and, and mm-hmm. growing and actually being able to give input and speak to that. So I think I, I love the way that you've talked about, you know, the relational, you know, we tend to overprotect relationally or emotionally or even intellectually, but we also sometimes do that spiritually within uh, Christianity and the church or even exposing them to certain ideas at age-appropriate times going you know, there's a way that I would wish the world was, but it's not that way. I would love not to have some of these conversations as early as we're having to have them, but we have to begin to introduce. And so sometimes we can also overprotect, whether that's parenting or youth group or church. Oh, we're not going to talk about those things, even though our culture is talking about them all the time. So then, then they don't get to engage those things. And they're kind of spiritually bubble wrapped by the time they're in their teenage years and have never encountered people who believe strong things that they don't believe or have challenged core or really cherished beliefs they hold. And what do I do with that? You know, so all those kind of things kind of play out as well when it comes to kind of that overprotection. Well, what are the hallmarks of kind of that underprotective parenting then? So if if one side is kind of the overprotective kind of default, what are the characteristics of an underprotective approach? Yes. So underprotective approach um, are parents who are it's pretty much centered on technology a lot and they're not as involved in technology as they probably should be. So overprotective parents maybe struggle to really monitor what's going on in their children's uh, technical social media technology world. And so, you know, on one side with the underprotective, they may, parents may struggle to really let go of holding their child's hand and, let them make their own decisions. Uh, But what we see with technology is that parents really need to hold these devices alongside their children. Maybe not, you know, literally, but (laughs) metaphorically. Um, And, but we're seeing instead that parents are largely underprotective in the technology realm. You know, there's a lot of reasons for this. Like we had talked about earlier is that technology is so native to Gen Z. And so, a lot of times parents can feel a little overwhelmed because there's no way they can keep up on all the technology and know everything that's going on. And so they, this, this gap can leave room for teenagers or children to really kind of live in this alternative technical world and participate in this um, apart from their parents' involvement and engagement. Um, And so we see this happening when parents, are really unaware of what their children are doing online um, or when parents aren't engaged in the places that the children are engaged in online. And you know, I don't know if we'll get, we can get into maybe the implications of this in a little bit, but I'll just mention briefly that obviously there's a lot of negative things going on. Yeah. Um, go, ahead and, go ahead and share some of the implications of that. I think that'd be, that'd be great to put context there. Yeah. So I'm, um, we saw that, even Christian parents are 
just they consider themselves media stress. I think a third of engaged Christian parents are media stress, meaning that this is one of their top three struggles in parenting. And we're seeing that children are having a lot of anxiety and depression and suicide that are all on the rise compared to previous generations. And this can be in part due to just a lot of negative information that they are being exposed to online, whether that's bullying or pornography, being addicted to the information and the technology, um, and not knowing how to engage with their peers in an actual face-to-face context. Um, And I certainly can see this when I do um, some group work with students. Um, and just see how they can struggle to really engage others and know how to hold a conversation and know how to look others in the eye when they're talking. Um, it's just much easier to distract themselves with technology. And so that's just a small example, but then you compound that day after day and children are more and more getting their identity from how they show up online and how they're perceived online by their peers. And this just has a really negative influence on how they view themselves and their identity. And so when parents are underprotective and um, not engaged in those areas and not knowing how to have conversations with their children about what's going on online or not knowing how to monitor that, it can have some negative side effects. Yeah, absolutely. And and I love how you put this um, in your chapter. You say media and technology have a huge influence on Gen Z's worldview Without a parent's presence to help navigate the myriad voices and perspectives, charismatic YouTube channels, curated photos on social media, and peer likes fill in the gap to define Gen Z's life for them. And I think that's a really good observation because in that space where I think you mentioned that, you know, they're they're kind of this two different worlds, this duplicity of mm-hmm. just kind of they're being shaped in so many incremental ways every day. That's one of the things that I, as I have conversations with parents or church leaders, it's not as though there was this massive, say, crisis of faith where one day they're just like they were presented with the evidence, well, there really isn't a God or God's good design for sexuality isn't, you know, what we should pursue. It, it's this incremental shaping and just little nudges of assumptions, desires, ways of viewing things, way of viewing themselves, seeing different things as normal and if that's happening in a, in a vacuum where there's no other input, that's what I think is, is such a new factor in the faith development of Gen Z mm-hmm. that plays itself out. Definitely. And so one of the things that you know, I was thinking about, as you coach and talk to students, do they talk about what they want their parents to be involved in? Obviously, you know, they don't. I mean, our, our kids and we were kids once, too, you know. No one was like, hey, I'd love for my parents to be super more involved in my life. But what does it look like mm-hmm. in the ones that you've talked to that have shared about what their parents did well when it comes to technology and trying to be involved in that technological universe and digital and social media and some of that and not just kind of handing that over to them with a the device and saying, you know, here you go. You know, what, what, what could that look like and what are they reporting or saying about that? Yeah, um, yeah. I- haven't necessarily come across a student that was <laughs> thrilled that their parents are on <laughs> Instagram, you know, <laughs> monitoring their photos. But, you know, I have had students that have been able to reflect and, and even say, you know, I, I don't like that my friends are always on their phones. I've had some examples of students who maybe weren't allowed to play certain games on their phone or have certain social media things and they go to 
you know, an event or something and their friends are just all on that and they actually find it really boring. And, you know, they're seeing that their friends are missing out on what's actually happening in front of them because they're so glued to their phone and it's, it's disappointing to them. And so when, you know, students are able to, to see that. And I think the students that have been able to see that have parents that are very much in dialogue with their children about social media or technology usage. You know, they're not just setting rules and this is the boundary and this is it, but they're explaining why and they are holding themselves accountable as parents. I think this is some, a big thing I see is parents can, you know, we can fall into being, um, being a little bit of hypocrites on this too, if we're trying to monitor our own children's phone usage. But then every time we stand in line at the grocery store, we're scrolling through our Instagram feed or something. And so I think it's an invitation for parents to even assess, you know, am I using technology to distract myself or am I really willing to look introspectively and see how this is influencing me as well and having conversations with your child about this. And those have been the healthiest, uh, I guess, family situations I've seen in regards to this area are those that are able to just talk about it and have conversations and parents are willing to admit how hard it is for them not to fall into the social media comparison trap or to be sucked in by uh, you know, not wanting to be bored any minute of the day. And so, yeah, I think that's, that's when I've seen it done well, it looks, it can look like that. Yeah, for sure. And, and then just for every parent who's listening right now, and I can totally relate to this. I mean, it can be just overwhelming to try to keep up with all of the new technology, all the new apps, every, yeah. all, the, all the way it works, all the workarounds, the new updates, the new iPhone, right? all that stuff. You know, just candidly, uh, it would be hard to come up with a, a, let's see, an app that's more against parent engagement and involvement with their kids than Snapchat, right? I mean, Snapchat yeah. is an app that is designed to be basically anonymous. Everything fades away. You can't keep up with it. Stuff goes away after it. It's like it's built in. So it's like even for a parent who wants to help engage in dialogue, it's really hard to because that whole app itself is designed for that. And so there's just all these different factors. Um, so if you're feeling overwhelmed as a parent, you're not alone <laughs> in that. It's kind of how do we kind of move forward into having better conversations around that. You know, say a little bit about why we all tend to maybe either overprotect or um, you know, let's do the overprotection. What do you think is driving that in, in, at a high level as a parent when it comes to overprotection? I think with overprotection, it is driven by fear. And so, uh, especially in today's world, we know so much of what's going on and a lot of the negative things in the world. And it's scary. And I mean, I, I have two young kids. I get it. I'm, <laughs> I can be driven by this fear and want to protect my children so much too. And it's hard to know when to let go. And so our tendency is to control. So that is definitely driving the overprotection and, you know, the good desire as a parent to keep our children safe. That is a, <laughs> a good desire that we have as parents. But when that goes uh, into overdrive, that's when the overprotection kicks in. And then on the other side, um, underprotection, I think that just this, what you had just kind of mentioned, just being overwhelmed in today's technology world can really cause parents to withdraw and be underprotective. And, you know, like you said, it is just so overwhelming. There's so much to try to keep up with. There's no way we could keep up with it all. And so it seems easier to just withdraw and disengage 
um, when it seems like there's no way we're ever going to catch up on the latest app or uh, whatever it is. And so um, the side effect of that has been the underprotective parenting. Yeah, and that's that's so helpful. And so now that we've kind of set the table a little bit, we've looked at the landscape of maybe the characteristics that are shaping this generation from, from parents to kids, but also what shaped the parents and also our tendencies for overprotection or underprotection and maybe even the motivations for that. What is a way forward, right? Because not only do we want them to be, you know, physically healthy and relationally healthy, we want them to be spiritually mature and following Jesus and making disciples and contending for truth and loving people well and creating culture. Like we, that's what we want for the next generation of Christ followers. So maybe let's shift a little bit to what's a way forward to kind of move away from that double-mindedness as you talk about it in terms of that overprotection, unprotection. What's what's the way forward, and what what could that begin to look like? Yeah. Um, so like you said, the double-mindedness is talked about in the book of James and how that's just a person who's double-minded is blown and tossed by the wind. And so this is oftentimes um, what I can feel as a parent too, is being blown to overprotective to underprotective and being tossed and turned. So what we really need is a single-minded focus on um, turning to Christ, but the ultimate authority is found in Christ. And so when we are tempted to fear and be um, overprotective as parents, then you know we need to remember that that the authority is found in Christ. When we are tempted to disengage or withdraw and be underprotective, we need to remember that our authority is found in Christ. And so uh, I think this both helps us let go of control where we need to and also helps us step in and engage where we need to. Uh, practically, what this looks like is, um, I guess I'll start with the being overprotective side, um, giving children that space to be kids and to learn and to grow. We, we've kind of touched on this, so I'll just recap. But it is giving your children um, just the ability to engage in activities, grow in their leadership and problem solving without constantly stepping in. Um, it's giving them space to practice resolving conflict, uh, to discover new interests and strengths, to try things that they're bad at. And, and that's okay. Um, and then certainly like you had mentioned before, just providing space for robust conversation and dialogue about things that are going on in the world, not protecting them from those things. You know, they're going to engage with views that are contrary to what you would maybe want them to believe and so it, it seems like it's better to, to be proactive in that. And I think one um, maybe easier way to do this, which I like, is having like a family book club of all reading a book and discussing it. And that could have maybe some topics that you want to talk about there um, or watching a movie together and talking about the characters and the decisions they made. And do you agree with that and why? And I think as parents, we always want to make sure we're, that the kids are getting the right answer, like. Uh, you know, this character, no, they shouldn't have done that. And this is why let's lay it out. But I think it's more important to give your child the space to come to their own conclusions. And those might not always be exactly how you would see it. Um, but they're going to feel um, stifled and again, overprotective if they're constantly being given the answers. They do need a little space to figure some of this out in a, in a safe environment. And so those would be some uh, I guess, practical ways to do that. With younger kids, it is also giving them space to just play and have fun and run around and not 
have so much activities and structure, although those are good, you know, my five-year-olds in soccer and those things can be really great as well, but there needs to be a balance um, given to those areas of their life to have that freedom. Because one thing we're seeing with this generation of students is that they're actually entering college and are being less creative and less able to solve problems um, because they haven't been given some of that um, space to really work things out on their own and problem solve. And then on the underprotective side, again, we've talked about some of these, but I'll just sum it up is um, being in dialogue about with, with your child about technology and explaining um, what is, what is the family's view on technology? How can we all hold each other accountable? What's important? And hear from your child. You know, you may be surprised how much a child actually doesn't want to be on it as much, but it just feels so addicting. Um, I think we've all fallen into different technology holes <laughs> of being sucked into that. And so how giving your child space to express that and help them problem solve um, appropriate ways to engage online and then modeling that yourself as well. I have young children, but one really practical thing I've started doing is if I need to be on my phone, you know, to them, it's like this really intriguing black box. What is mommy doing on her phone? And so I've just started telling them, I'm texting back Grammy, or here's a video of your baby cousin. Do you want to watch it with me? Or there's an important email I need to answer for work right now. You know, just give me one minute and then we can do, do X, Y, Z. So I'm just trying to even verbalize what I'm doing online to even hold myself accountable. You know, if I'm bored waiting in line, I'm, you know, I'll play I spy with my kids instead of scrolling my phone. And um, so even just finding small ways, again, I have small children, so it's a little easier, <laughs> but hopefully I'll just get you thinking about um, some small ways you can even just engage your children in conversation around um, media usage. Yeah, and I think that's so helpful. And I think the thing that I found and, and observed and even tried to put in place is the technology conversation is not a one-time conversation, right? You know, yeah. it comes to, it's like, you know, when it comes to say talking to our kids about sex, for example, or something like that, people are like, well, you, have you had the talk? It's like, well, actually that's an ongoing conversation. <laughs> well, technology is the exact same way because it's going to look different at every season of life. It may even look different month to month of like, okay, do we need to make an adjustment? How's that going? You know, we let you have this app. It's been a month or two. How do you feel about, like, what, what has changed? Do you feel more focused, less focused, more distracted? You know, do you feel emotionally more pulled or tired? Like, so I think that's, that's, that's a great word to kind of think through kind of that ongoing conversation and inviting them into it in terms of how they view it. I love one of the lines you put in here that if the desire is to make Gen Z disciples for Jesus, then parents must let go of control. We'll come back to that. Disciples learn through instruction and modeling, but they also learn by doing. And I think that's so important that, yes, they do need instruction. You know, Christianity is true. I mean, there's content to it. You know, there is a faith delivered once for all for the saints. But then there's also modeling and practicing, and how do I build that into my life? How do I do that? That's why we're so passionate about our, our No Be Live model here at Impact 360 and trying to do that holistically around that. But I'd love for you to just kind of wrap up a little bit by just talking about, you know, all of us, I think, want control. And as a parent, it's hard to let go of control. So maybe give a few words of encouragement about maybe the lessening of control over time, but also the benefit and the fruit that that would bring. So maybe cast a little vision for that hard thing that we're all going to have to do as parents. Yes. Yeah, so um, I think as parents, 
it is, you know, as your children get older and older, it is kind of a lessening and lessening of control over their life. And I think the encouragement here is that we have a God we can trust who is ultimately in control. And so that's first and foremost, what is important to keep in mind. But if you just even think about our faith, you know, our faith is not made genuine because we're trying to be, you know, won over with being in control, how, you know, knowing the right answers and having everything under control. Our faith grows when we are invited in, in love and certainly challenge is a part of that. But I think this goes to how we need to release some control for our kids as well. You know, kids can tell a difference between trying to be uh, kept in line and uh, reasoned into doing certain things versus being welcomed in to have space to ask hard questions, to show up as they are, be enjoyed for who they are. And again, this doesn't mean you don't challenge them. Certainly this can include hard conversations as well. And certainly it includes consequences when bad choices are made. Um, But one thing that was just um, really stood out to me in a study that was done in um, Barna's, uh, they have a guiding children study. And there was some research into kids that retain their faith as they grow up. And the a primary factor in this was the importance of family warmth. So families who enjoy each other, who know how to have fun together, who have a warmth, not a family that is controlling and trying to hold everything together so tightly. Um, instead, it's, it's those that can really just be with one another and connect. And so I think if we replace the word control with connect, that could be a helpful framework for parents to navigate you know, these, these hard years of this new technology world that our kids are, are growing up in and um, just our desire to, to hold on to things so tightly. No, I, I think that's such a good word. Um, you know, just continually trying to keep coming back to how do I move from control to connect is just a great, you know, application as a parent, as a mom, as a dad, even as a grandparent about how do I, how do I move from control to connect as my kids get older and their not only their physical development and emotional and spiritual development as well, how do I continue to connect there? And I love that, the, the family warmth and, and really fighting for that, trying to create that create that space. Well, my, my conversation today has been with Stephanie Shackelford. Um, she's contributed to this brand new book, Nobi Live, a 360 degree approach to discipleship in a post-Christian era, edited by John Basie. And we published that here with Impact 360 Institute to try to think about how we make disciples in this context with Gen Z. And one of the big factors in that, a massive factor in that is our role as parents and how we approach that, whether that's overprotective tendencies or underprotective tendencies, and what could that look like to be different. So hopefully as you've been listening to this, maybe you're driving around, commuting to work, uh, running around the neighborhood, walking around the neighborhood, whatever that may be, that something has maybe given you a, a new category or a new question to ask or something to apply to your own relationships with your kids as you seek to make disciples. So you can find that book at impact360.org or anywhere you find good books. But Stephanie, I just want to thank you for your work and your um, passion for the next generation and really just appreciate you stopping by and sharing your wisdom with us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me.
For more information about our on-campus worldview and leadership experiences for students and our accessible online courses like Explore Truth and Explore the Resurrection, visit impact360.org. Impact 360 Institute. Know. Be. Live.